Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Hey, Desi. Hey. It's good to be back. Yeah. So let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com. And this week we had John, Tammy, Amanda, Karen, Darnell, Christy, Carly, Jessica, Rui, Tanya, Anna, Jeffrey, Kristen, Cammy, Aubrey, Susan, Elizabeth, Rosemary, Christy, Monique, Becky, Isabella, Susan, Nicole, Lee, Marissa, Anthu, Julia, Jose, Elizabeth, Blanca, Megan, Raina, Lynette, Anastasia, Omari, Joanna, Pinion Pictures, Gracie, and Claire. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. All right, Desi, this is the third and final installment of Mommy Dearest. It feels like it's been happening. <laughs> yeah. This was, we were initially going to do four separate Mother's Day or three Mother's Day right. themed. But this one ended For the up month being... of May. But yeah. this Mommy Dearest, the book, it's like 500 fucking pages. Yeah. It's very dense. Not to mention stuff that happened after yeah. the book was released. Yeah. Which was in 1978. So that's why we have three episodes. Almost could have been four, but you know what? We got to move on. <laughs> but I appreciate all of the positive feedback we've received about the series. Yeah. Thank you. People are reading it too. I know. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So where we left off is we were dunking on Joan's apartment with Alfred Steele. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> about how it was all like very white with plastic colored furniture and how there was nothing really for Alfred. Yeah. Except he had like a den and they spent so much money on it. He didn't have like a Barca lounger for the guy. Oh, that would have been unacceptable. <laughs> he didn't have like a dartboard. Okay. Yeah. The guys like I want to see this like, yeah, I'm sure it's still very popular. <laughs> I want to see this apartment. Are there pictures or... No. I couldn't know. Okay. You know what? Maybe I didn't look. I did look up some, um, oh God, and now his name is completely slipping my mind. Billy Haynes? Yes. I looked up a lot of his pictures like, yeah. in the past few weeks. Right. They were uh, friends. Yeah. Her and uh, him and Joan Crawford. So by the time construction was finished on the Fifth Avenue apartment, Joan Crawford and Alfred Steele had spent so much money that Alfred had to borrow against his future salary at Pepsi. Whoa. So this they were spending beyond their means. Yes. It wasn't the big I mean, like like I we said before, we talked about how in the movie he's like bankrupt or something. Yeah, yeah. like in the movie there's this big scene where they're uh constructing the like remodeling the, the apartment and he's like, We don't have the money to do this. Basically what it was is they like they were able to do all the remodeling. They were like, oh, I'll just borrow from my future salary. 
Right. He was just borrowing money from places. She was spending like she was with a billionaire who had a ton of cash on hand or something. Absolutely. And I think she thought with like Pepsi's rise and his rise in the company, like because he was the president now of Pepsi, that like, oh, well, he's going to be. And in her heyday, she probably earned more than him. Yes. So she was used to spending a ton of money. Right. But this is the late 50s yeah. at this point. So she her star is on the decline. Right. She's not making as much money. Right. But I'm just saying she thought that he was like her in her heyday, kind of that level of money probably. Absolutely. So th- he's borrowing against his future salary just to get this ridiculous apartment constructed. Christina was still living in near po- in near poverty in <sighs> a very small Manhattan apartment, and she was working as a receptionist during summer break from school, which was her school was the neighborhood playhouse. Okay. But when Joan found out that Christina had decided she didn't want to return to school in the fall, she was cut off completely financially. <gasps> this decision was made during a fiery showdown at Joan and Alfred's penthouse. When Christina left, it would be the last time that she saw her stepdad alive. Fortunately, Christina was able to get a part-time job at her friend's dad's restaurant as a cashier. It paid next to nothing, but the job came with free food, and that was really the draw. Yeah. She's like, well, uh, you know, I can just make my rent, and I'm also having, this is what I'm eating. I don't have the expense of food. Exactly. During the winter of 1958, Christina and her roommate froze their asses off in their apartment. It had no heat. This is like the level that they're living right now. But out of the blue one day, Alfred secretly had his valet send her $100. Joan did not know about this. Joan was very against giving Christina (gasps) extra money. Christina was working more at the restaurant. She was taking acting classes and just saving whatever money that she had so she could hopefully one day go back to Europe and see friends that she had made from that trip in Switzerland they did when she was a teen. Meanwhile, 14-year-old Christopher Crawford had made a habit out of running away from school. He was like a quote-unquote problem child at this point, like an at-risk student. Right. He was always running away from school, getting suspended, stuff like that. It had gotten so bad that Joan considered sending him to school in Switzerland and taking away his passport so that he couldn't come back to the States. Whoa. Yeah. But fortunately, that didn't happen. Instead, unfortunately, Christopher was taken to Bellevue Hospital and locked down in a very grim little ward with other nonviolent juvenile offenders. Wow. Yeah. That seems like extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I guess she didn't want him to go to like juvie. So she's like, you're going to the mental hospital. Uh Christopher spent a month in the hospital before being sent to a new boarding school in Connecticut. And in April of 1959, Alfred Steele died of a heart attack. Now in Mommy Dearest, the book, Christina says her first thought was, quote, my God, she killed him. Really? Yes. Christina was in England when she heard the news from a radio announcement, so she didn't even hear it from her own mother. She rushed to figure out how to get a plane ticket home because she had traveled by boat, and when she finally got a hold of her mother to apologize for her loss, Joan was furious. She said she did not want Christina to come to the funeral. The funeral was for friends and family only, and she was neither. So... (laughs) Jesus. Obviously, Christina was heartbroken yeah. by this. She called him daddy. She considered, I mean, that was like 
They seemed like they had a relationship. Like it wasn't just he wasn't a bad guy. He yeah. was a nice guy. Like I mean, he was a little like whipped by Joan. Yeah, you but know, he, he seemed like he actually had a relationship with Christina. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he gave her some money while yeah. she was freezing her ass off that winter in her apartment. So he did care about the kids. Um, and so she was sad, and she was just trying to comfort her mother. And for some reason, no, you she's can't so go to controlling. The yes. Christina stayed in England for another month because she's like, well, I'm just going to stay here if I'm not going to the funeral. What the fuck? When she returned to the States, Christina found that her brother Christopher was still in jail. (gasps) Now, before she had left for England, he had gotten in trouble for stealing a teacher's car and going on a joyride. So he was just going into jail when she left for England. And she thought, like, oh, he'll get out. Like, he had just gotten arrested. So... He'd been sitting in jail for months at this point. Christina had no means to procure bail or a lawyer, and the jail was holding him because they had no place to send him. He had been expelled from school, and Joan refused to take him. Jesus. And he's a kid. He's like 14 years yeah. old. So they're like, well, you don't have a home. We're just going to keep you here. Yeah. Joan was pushing for Christopher to be sent to Elmira, which was a maximum security juvenile detention center. But Christina was not having it. And the judge was about to just go along with Joan's wishes. Like, okay, Miss Crawford, sure. (laughs) Christina managed to find a lawyer to take her brother's case. And with the no, like, they had no money. So the lawyer was basically doing this pro bono. Okay. um, To help them out. Yeah. And after sitting in jail for six months, <gasps> 16-year-old Christopher was finally released and made a ward of the state. Joan said nothing to him as she left the courtroom that day. Holy that was shit. It. That was the end of their relationship. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Fucked up, right? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Back at Pepsi, Joan had been made an honorary board member. She was written up in a magazine about how she had taken on her late husband's duties at the company. In 1960, Christina was given the opportunity to be profiled in Red Book magazine about her life as the child of a Hollywood star, her acting career, and her relationship with her mother. Christina was excited to set the record straight about her life. (laughs) But when Joan found out about the article, she called the magazine and insisted that she also be featured in the same article. Oh my God. This is great. We'll do a mother-daughter article together in Red Book. What a bitch. (laughs) This is an excerpt from that article from 1960. Joan Crawford remembers that when Christina was very young, mother and daughter were racing through the water of the 65-foot swimming pool of the Brentwood estate. Quote, I let her win eight times, the actress says, and then on the ninth time, I struck out just a little bit and won. She took a look back at me as she swam back over to the steps and climbed out of the pool. She stood there and said, I'll never play with you as long as I live. Never. I said, Christina, look, my body is longer than yours. I could have won all the time. I'm bigger than you. I am faster than you are, and I can win all the time. Now let's get back in the pool and play. I picked her up to throw her into the pool and jumped in with her and made her swim. That's in the movie. Yes. That scene. Except I mean, in it's the a movie, different, a slightly different. Slightly different. In the movie, it just shows them racing one time, and Joan obviously wins because she's an adult, and Christina's like seven years old. So and I she mean, says that line, though, right? She I'm says, bigger than you. I'm she's, faster than it's you. It's slightly different, but it's the same tone. I, and yeah. I will always win. <laughs> I'm bigger than you. I'm faster than you. Oh, my God. In the piece, Christina recounted her days at the Chadwick School and how her mother barely gave her any money and how she was pulled out of school completely unprompted and taken to the convent school by complete surprise. Joan retorted to this assertion by saying, quote, The whole story, she says, is a product of the girl's imagination. My relationship with the Chadwicks was always warm and friendly. Christina's behavior at school was not always what it should have been. She often dated and went away for weekends without my permission or that of the Chadwicks. I don't enjoy telling you this, but the real reason Christina left 
Chadwick was that she had been expelled, and I will not say why. I sent her to the convent because it was the only school that would accept her. (laughs) I hate saying this, but... (laughs) (laughs) Now, the whole article is just a back and forth between mother and daughter about the circumstances of Christina and her siblings' upbringing. So was Christina interviewed, and then Joan just retorted to everything she said separately, or were they interviewed together? Uh, It was separate. Okay, so was Joan seeing what Christina had said? I guess so. Like, Christina said this. And then Joan got to give her version. Yes. Oh, that's so fucked up. So it was this back and forth Mm -hmm. in the interview. So this wasn't... And and again, this is not Christina's profile. This is about Joan. Yeah. Really. It's like Joan Crawford's daughter is here. Joan even went on to say that the family trip to Europe was a miserable time and that Alfred didn't even like Christina's presence there. (laughs) Jesus. Way to twist the knife about Alfred, right? (laughs) He didn't even want her at his funeral. (laughs) (laughs) But Christina soldiered on with her career and her own life, wanting to become anything other than Joan Crawford's daughter. And in 1961, she landed a small role in in an Elvis Presley movie called Wild in the Country. I have never seen that. No. Christina ended up moving to Los Angeles and spent the next several years scraping by and hardly earning any money. She had no contact with her mother during this time. She was sent out on a lot of auditions, but not getting any work, and she feared that she had been blacklisted from Hollywood. She took a job in the mailroom at a savings and loan where she worked for two years. Now, in 1962, Joan Crawford starred alongside her nemesis, Betty Davis, in the wildly successful film, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Yeah. Any comments about that movie, Desi? (laughs) I love that movie. I mean, obviously. uh, I have to say my favorite part of that movie, I mean, there's a lot of parts I love. I love when jo- um, Betty Davis is pretending to be Blanche when she calls the liquor store. Oh, yeah. And she like, but it's Joan Crawford. She's imitating Joan Crawford, but it's clearly Joan Crawford doing the voice. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. I, I mean, there's just so many iconic moments in that movie. I'm writing I a love letter it. to daddy. It's right up my alley. Like if I was going to be crazy, it would be that type of child star still dressing with like banana curls. <laughs> Like, that would be my route, I think. Yeah. Because I want to do that, too. I just love the, like, wrinkled, pancake-faced makeup wearing the child star clothes. Right. When the guy comes over for the first time and she's, like, so excited. It's iconic. It's so good. And, like, the ending is so good. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It's a must. Like, I have to say, like, I feel like even if you think you hate old movies or they're too slow or whatever, this one's really really good and it's so dark and like weird it's it could be made today yeah there actually was a remake of this that i had seen did you see the remake with um lynn and vanessa redgrave no i never (laughs) saw the remake was it good i mean it's good if you're like me who has seen the original so many times it's wild to see like another version because you kind of just know how it's supposed to be and obviously they're both good actresses um but it's just weird to see yeah Uh, especially the Leningrad it's weird to see in color first of all yeah I think it was like a tv movie I mean it must have been yeah uh so it was weird to see in color I I I guess it's good in its own way is it campy yeah I mean how can that movie not be yeah (laughs) 
yeah, needless yeah. to say, whatever happened to Baby Jane, one of my favorite movies, I think. Yeah, it's so good. It's just so good. I, I feel like watching it right now. There's very few movies I've seen like a lot of times, and that's one of them. And there's just so many iconic lines in it that just if you're a movie fan, you should see the movie. That's like probably where I would like most of the gifts I've used in my life are from. <laughs> yeah. Like there's so many I can think that I've used. Absolutely. Yeah. So this movie was Joan's first big box office smash in years. Yeah. This was like her comeback movie or like, remember Joan Crawford? Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, she's back and this is her big fucking role in years. I mean, for both of them, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Because I think their heydays was really the 30s and 40s. I mean, I think I don't think like Betty Davis had as huge of a drop off as Joan Crawford, but this was definitely a big rebound for her as well. Right, because All About Eve was in the 50s. Yeah. But for both of them, it was like, and also just the fact that the two of them were working together right. it was had such that a added, big deal. Yeah. And there were all these rumors going on right when the movie started production, like, oh, are they feuding together? Is there a feud happening? Right. They deny there's a feud happening. So there were all these articles in the paper that were like, we're not feuding. We're very happy to be working together. Right. Meanwhile... There was a feud brewing. I read a book on this movie or about their relationship in particular. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's the one that was the Ryan Murphy series was based on. The one I read, I think, was called Betty and Joan. I think that one's based on a book called Feud, right? Well, that's what his series was called, Betty and Joan Feud. Yeah, I know, but I think mine was a different one, unless they changed the title at some point. But I read a book about their relationship from like the beginning. Right. Into, uh, sorry, into um, the making of that movie uh, and just like whatever, the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's really good. Oh. I'll find the exact title and I'll share it somewhere. Like, honestly, we're probably going to do an episode on the feud. Yeah. At yeah. some point. Yeah. It's so Why good. Why not? I yeah. mean, even just we should do an episode about Betty Davis. Well, she also has her own child memoir. Like, her child did a memoir yes. too. <laughs> and, and her child is like, there's some stuff going on there. Well, she has a whole stuff that was going on pretty recently, too, that yeah. was pretty wild, I yeah. think. I can't remember what. It's like slipping my mind, but I remember reading something going, whoa. There's stuff to talk about yeah. there. Okay. So Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar for her role in the film. Joan Crawford was not. <laughs> Obviously, Joan was very sour about this. Joan was alleged to have actively campaigned against Betty Davis's Oscar win, despite the fact that a win for the film would be very financially beneficial to both of right. them. But Joan was so petty that she was willing to take the hit financially <laughs> to screw over Betty. Yeah. She could not stand that she was nominated for an Oscar for the same movie as she was in, but she wasn't. I mean, it's the more showy role. Of course. It's not exactly a surprise, but I'm sure no. it, it killed her. I'm of sure. course yeah. it did. And this was like, they're the two headliners. This yes. is, they're supposed to be on equal footing. This is. I mean, nowadays she would have probably gotten a Best Supporting Actress nod. <laughs> but that would have been equally like. Oh, she would have <laughs> been even more upset yeah, about the Best Supporting. But can't supporting. you see it? Because sometimes the lesser kind of showy role will get the supporting nod or yeah, something. Yeah, Now... <laughs> So she, Joan called each of the other nominated actresses and told them that should they be unable to attend the ceremony, that Joan would happily accept the award on their behalf. All-time petty. Like, this is a petty, like, all-timer, what she did here. 
<laughs> it's Incredible. so unbelievable. Incredible. It's shocking. Yeah. Lo and behold, the winner for Best Actress that year was Anne Bancroft for her role in The Miracle Worker, and Anne was in New York working on a play, so Joan Crawford accepted the Academy Award that year. Just, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I There's a clip, you can find clips of her accepting the Academy yeah. Award. I think Frank Sinatra actually intro- introduces Joan Crawford or whatever. Right. Like he introduces the award, I mean, for best actress. And Joan comes up and she just has this shit-eating grin on her face. And she doesn't even say much. She doesn't even take no. up. It's like, it's... Just the fact that she did it. She did it. It yeah. was like 10 seconds. She was like, "Thank Anne thanks you. This is what an honor. Ba-da-da-da-da. And she yeah. left the stage. But she's all glammed out Yeah, in her Edith head dress. Yeah. And she looks amazing. She's all whatever. And she just has this shit eating grin on her face. You can just tell. You have to respect this petty. Like <laughs> they don't we don't have feuds like this anymore, does he? No, because there's too many like publicity people. Right. Yeah. I kind of miss those days of Hollywood where people even like in the eighties and stuff, they were still showing up to award shows looking like shit. Yeah. Like I just feel like there's nothing interesting now because no. it's so like curated and like you know what I mean like yeah. I miss those old days I do too where they were so controlled that they just couldn't help but bust out in the most petty ways possible right now people want to be liked too much something <laughs> <laughs> yeah I want to see insanity come on we're dying here now <laughs> Betty Davis of course blamed Joan for the loss she was also furious because had Betty Davis won this award, it, she would have been the first actress to have had three Oscars. Oh. She would have made history also. Yeah. And I love Anne Bancroft, but she deserved it. Betty Davis? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, 100%. She deserved it. It's yeah. like it's a, she should have won. She was it's insane. robbed. Yeah. She was robbed. Absolutely of that robbed. Yeah. Now, so yeah, I mean, that's an iconic moment in their feud, I would say. It's such a victory for Joan. (laughs) Like, I just, there's no other way to like go about it. Like, absolutely. It was a stunning victory. Christina spent 1964 doing theater again. She toured the Midwest acting in a variety of plays. And the following year, she landed a part in Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. Now, Myrna Loy starred in the show, and Joan wrote Christina to give her regards to Myrna, saying that she was a great lady. But Christina disagreed that Myrna Loy was a great lady. When the play was performing in Chicago, Christina invited her mother, as she was there on business for Pepsi. But Joan said she couldn't make it. But Christina did get a review in the paper that was good. Okay. So the play was successful. But there's no Myrna Loy tea? (laughs) Uh, Christina just didn't like her or she was a bitch? Christina thought that Myrna Loy was a fucking bitch and that she was controlling uh, on set or not on set. On on stage or whatever. On stage, yeah. yeah. And that just, it was not a pleasant experience. There was animosity there. Uh, You know, my great-great-grandfather was friends with Myrna Loy. I'm curious, like, what this... I want to know more about her, but I do have another Myrna Loy story coming up later. Okay. So we'll get to that. When Christina was unexpectedly fired from the play, she moved back to New York and called her mother to let her know that she was engaged to the stage manager of Barefoot in the Park, a man named Harvey Medlinsky. 
she was surprised when her mother responded favorably to this. Like, Ooh. Joan was happy and excited for her. There was no, like, diss. Yeah. Or, like, backhanded compliment. Right. She was genuinely happy for Christina. Interesting. The couple planned on a quiet courthouse ceremony, but Joan was having none of that. She's like, I'm giving you a huge reception at the 21 Club. Everyone's coming. And so she did. And Christina and Harvey got married on May 20th, 1966. And the party was filled with family and friends, as well as business people from Pepsi. However, Christina's siblings would not be there. In the book, Mommy Dearest, Christina said that Christopher was, quote, persona non grata, and the twins had recently got, gotten into a fight with Joan over dresses that they had to wear at the wedding. Oh, boy. So something totally trivial that they had gotten into a fight, this huge blowout over, so they were like, fuck you, we're not coming. Christina's relationship with her mother following the wedding seemed to strengthen, and she spent a lot of time with Joan at her apartment. For the first time in Christina's life, her mother was beginning to open up to her emotionally and really just be more vulnerable to her. Like, they sort of started connecting for the first time. Okay. Christina said that her mother would still fly into a rage, but it was more directed towards her newest housekeeper and not her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look, she had to get that rage out somehow, Desi. <laughs> In 1968, Christina was cast in the soap opera The Secret Storm. <laughs> Her character's name was Joan. Ugh. Now, the character Joan was an alcoholic and a bitch. <laughs> so she was made to play this role. <laughs> Absolutely. When Joan Crawford saw Christina's first episode, she was very impressed with her work. Christina loved working on the show, and her castmates became like family to her. But after just a few months of being on the show, she began feeling very ill, and it was discovered that she had a fallopian tumor that needed to be removed. The doctor told her that she would need six weeks to recover following the surgery. Christina was like, I can't. Yeah. I can't be out for six weeks. I'm on a soap opera. We film five days a week. Right. It's a very, if for anyone who knows anything about soap operas, like filming schedules is an intense yeah. work schedule. Like I have known people who have been on soap operas before and it's like people soap opera actors are very talented and very good at what they do yeah like they, it's a lot of on the fly like they're just learning the script right before filming absolutely like, yeah. like they're very hard work yeah and it's people. almost like live filming especially back then yeah it's absolutely. like a play it's uh -huh. it's really filmed like a play and the episodes although the episodes themselves weren't live they really only did one take yeah there's so, no editing, really. No. Yeah. You don't fuck up. You just do it. And it's, and you know, Christina came from a theater background, so yeah. she was good at memorizing lines and such. So she did not want to get the surgery because yeah. she's like, I can't be out for six weeks. I just got this job. Yeah. I don't want to lose this job. So she hid her illness from the producers. For the next few months, she slogged on through her workday on set and just felt like utter garbage. Overall, this was a rough time for Christina because Joan's alcoholism was also progressing. She was drinking round the clock at this point and taking sleeping pills at night. And Christina and her husband had decided to get a divorce. So oh, everything's no. a little stressful right now. After the divorce, Christina was under an incredible amount of stress adjusting to her new life and, of course, her busy work schedule on The Secret Storm. And she woke up one morning to go to set in complete agony. She needed to go to a hospital. 
After experiencing the worst pain of her life and fearing that she was near death, she was rushed to the hospital by ambulance and given emergency surgery. And when Christina woke up, she was greeted by her mother and also by her director, a woman named Gloria. She had been in and out of consciousness because even after the surgery, the pain was still unbearable. As Gloria stood above her holding her hand, she could barely comprehend what she was saying to her. And what she was saying to her was that Joan had offered to fill in for her in her role on the soap opera. Just an insane move. (laughs) Oh, I know. Why don't I play the part? Just because I'm 40 years older. If this wasn't like a fallopian tumor, if this was like an ankle break, this would be like the biggest duh, Joan Crawford pushed her down the stairs. Right, right. I mean, it's so shocking. Like, I just, it's just unbelievably shocking that anyone thought this was a good idea. And the director was like, great. Well, in a way you can see why the show would be like more people will watch than ever before probably. Yes. But it's just so bad. It's such a bad call. Well, it's, it, it's like, it's a soap opera. It's not a comedy show. Like nothing about this makes sense. Cause it's such, it's so laughable. Yeah. It's not even that it's like, it's not theater where you can have an understudy come in and you're on the stage. So you can't really see the age difference or, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's weird. It's just an, insane... I mean, this is, there's no surprise that we, none of us have ever heard of the secret storm. It's not like an iconic soap opera. <laughs> exactly. And in October of 1968, Joan Crawford, who was in her 60s at Holy this point, shit. stepped in to play the role her daughter had been playing on The Secret Storm. Now, the character was supposed to be 24 years old. <laughs> and this character was in the middle of divorcing her husband, who was also in his 20s. So Joan was playing opposite... A 20-year-old guy. A 25-year-old guy having these conversations about their marriage, and she's drunk and in her 60s. Ugh. I mean... I mean, it definitely makes it a more interesting story. <laughs> I agree. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's it crazy. It was wild. The, the wild thing to me is that you know Joan thought she looked at 30. Of course. Like- <laughs> of course. Are you kidding me? She didn't wear those jock straps on her face for nothing. Yeah. She's like, of course I'm passable for 24. <laughs> Joan even agreed to do the part for scale, which was $165. Oh, she would have done it for free, honey. <laughs> yeah. She only did it for scale because she's in the union. Oh, right. That's the only reason she didn't do yeah. it for free. This was fucking, She had to take something. She had to take something for it. And she agreed to do four episodes. The character would then be written out temporarily until Christina was able to come back. Right. So this is just a little segue. Yes. So they can transition her out for now. Joan said that her intentions were to make sure that Christina's role would not be filled by someone else and that it would still be there when she had recovered. Right. Because if someone else filled in for four days, they might have taken the part. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Your non-narcissistic mother. It's absurd. (laughs) Christina took it as her mom trying to steal her job. Right. I mean, I don't think she was really trying to steal the job because that would be crazy. Right. But she but definitely was taking advantage of the situation. She also took it as, as her mom trying to upstage her. Yeah. I think it's upstaging, but also like, Laura and I a good mom? Like, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like, be- it's a lot of 
phony fucking bullshit. Because that's what Joan said in the paper. She's like, I'm doing this for my daughter. So she still has her role when she's better. Right. And she's getting publicity from this. Absolutely. And Christina said in the papers, yes, I'm very grateful. My mom's very nice for doing this. Like she didn't want to be like, my mom's, I fucking, I'm bitter about this. Right. She was like the gracious daughter. She had to be like, of course my mom's a famous movie star. Why wouldn't I? And we're honored to have her like step down to this lowly role. So... Christina was also very nervous about her mom stepping in because of how much her alcoholism had progressed. Ooh. Like, because Joan was drinking around the clock. She's like, how is she going to remember lines for a soap opera? How is she going to work five days a week? Are there clips of this? There must no. be. Oh, There's no, no. I looked everywhere, Desi. I mean, I, re- there was, I remember seeing it in the movie, but I would love to see real clips. I want to see a real guys, clip of it so bad. Do your thing. No, <laughs> Send us clips. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes that works when you ask other people. I've looked for things and then people found them in I two know. seconds. And I'm I like, know. how? <laughs> I'm pretty Please good. Please find the real clips, not mm-hmm. the mommy dearest and not the one that's audio only. Yeah, I want to see it. I want to see it. So now Christina feared that the publicity surrounding this would overshadow her own acting career. And it kind of did. Christina says that when she would mention doing the show, people would say to her, oh, yeah, your mom took that part. Yes. Like, it was always came back to, it wasn't about Christina's work on The Secret Storm. It was like, oh, that stunt that your mom pulled. I mean, in Joan's defense, or <laughs> defense, that was the highlight of that show. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's the only thing anyone remembers. When Christina saw the first episode featuring her mother, she was mortified. She was drunk. And very obviously drunk. Christina watched each episode her mother appeared in from her hospital bed. So imagine feeling that helpless. I just can't even imagine. I'd be like, put me in a coma. (laughs) Please. I can't not watch it if I'm awake. (laughs) I need help. (laughs) Where's the remote? I can't even like imagine. It's like when you watch something or you click through where it's like autopsy photos, don't click. And you're like, I have to. (laughs) Once you told me not to, there's no way, there's no going back. Like there's no way I would not watch this. Joan was just dreadful. She, she was slurring her words. I mean, the scenes from the movie are pretty funny. Dude. (laughs) That's why I need to see the real scenes. Because it's one of those things where I know if I saw the real scenes, I would be like, wow, I didn't know it would be even more insane than what the movie made it look like. Do you know what I mean? Like, Right. Yeah. Because there's so many things that are in the book that are even more insane than they are in the movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, Desi is currently looking at images <laughs> of Joan Crawford acting in The Secret Storm. Do you want to describe what these look like? First of all, her hairstyle is... I can't believe that she thought she looked really young. 
<laughs> like, look at this hairstyle. Oh, I know. It is a bad late 60s bouffant. It's a bouffant with like a little headband. Her makeup is really harsh. She's wearing like a really unflattering, like high collared kind of shirt skirt shirt dress or something. Is it a skirt suit? What is it? No, it's like a shirt dress. Oh, yeah. Without the buttons. Uh, and then there's some real emoting in some of these, like there's some of these like soap opera acting looking faces, <laughs> like where her mouth is kind of agape, like, and you know that some big reveal just happened. Well, like her husband's like, I'm leaving you. And she's like, <gasps> and then you get the organ music. <laughs> yeah, the organ music. Because this is back in the day, soap operas, where they had all that dramatic organ music, which I think is so great. And she's really acting a lot with her face. Like here she's wearing like a brocaded metallic sleeveless shift dress. Like dude, she looks haggard. She in that doesn't picture. look good at all. Let me see that. Let me see that closer. <laughs> that that is a mess. Oh. Her makeup looks like really powdery. Like she too much looks powder. Bloated. She has alcohol bloat. No, she does not look 24. <laughs> I think this is my favorite. She looks old for her age. This is my favorite one of her, where she's leaning on the chair with a cigarette. Like youthfully? (laughs) Yeah. She's doing a a youthful lean, like, hey, man. (laughs) Okay, let's let's continue. We're going to continue talking about this. Okay, sorry, I had to see. I want to read you something, Desi, when you're ready. I'm ready. This is from the San Francisco Examiner from... Right after the first episode with Joan premiered, they did a little review on it. And the headline is Superstar Emotes for Soap Opera. Now, this is a little blurb I'm going to read from the examiner. It says, into the role of maligned Joan Kane, that's the name of the character, did Joan Crawford yesterday descend? Secret Storm suddenly became public tornado. (laughs) La Crawford tackled it like it was a remake of Baby Jane, and she was out to get Betty Davis with a carving knife. (laughs) It could have been an Oscar audition for a new movie called Whatever Happened to Mildred Pierce. (laughs) Joan was great. She was made up like Halloween and arrived had had she was made up like Halloween had arrived six days early. And looked hard as granite, dissolute, defiant, mean as all get out. Joan seethed, brooded, argued, and blew cigarette smoke all over her lawyer. (laughs) He tried to induce her to sign a paper. She pushed the paper off the table and threw away the pen as the segment ended. She was great. But not for this show, nor this role. (laughs) (laughs) It's so insane. I have to see it, please. The star magnetism of Joan Crawford towered over the other performers. Oh, boy. But alas, no matter how Joan computes or balances those 60 years, she can't make them add up to 29. (laughs) So, yeah, I thought that was a great review. She was amazing, just not for the secret storm. That's exactly the perfect description, though, that it's like she's redoing Baby Jane like she's baby Jane in this circumstance. Right. Playing way too young. <laughs> <laughs> Just incredible. When Restina recovered, her job at the secret storm was waiting for her, which is good. She was so happy to return and everyone on set was very loving and kind and just welcomed her with open arms. Now, eventually Christina asked someone on the show what it was like having Joan there. Yeah. She was afraid, but finally she got up the nerve to be like, right. tell me. Just, I'm ready. <laughs> tell me what my mom was like on set. 
And yes, Joan had been drinking on set. From as soon as she got there early in the morning till they wrapped, she was fucking wasted. Every day she arrived to the studio with an entourage and a Pepsi cooler full of 100 proof proof vodka and her own personal food. Wow. Not one person told Christina that it was a joy to work with her mom. Like, not one person was like, your mom was great. Yeah. They were like, well, she was here. Yeah. And she was drunk. (laughs) (laughs) They did say that they were very sorry, though. Aww. Like they said to Chris, they apologized to Christina. Yeah. Like, we're sorry. You turned out great considering. <laughs> You're back. Thank you. <laughs> Joan had a tough time working on a multi-camera production. Her scenes had to be redone a lot. So they were doing like 10 fucking takes as oh. opposed to one or two takes. I mean, like you said, though, she's not used to, to working in this sort of environment. No. Like she never even did theater, I don't think. A little tiny bit before her but film like career. way back in the day. Like, yeah. yeah. This, she, yeah. So <laughs> this was a whole new world where, you know, Christina was like a professional at this. Yeah. And Joan was like, whoa. I need to do that again. It's like, yeah. uh, no, bitch. <laughs> right. We don't do that again here on yeah. soap operas. So... Sadly, Christina's character was eventually written off the show for good in 1969. And Christina was spending a lot of time still with her mother at this point, but she was really worried about her drinking. Joan was taking a lot of falls in her apartment, and she was appearing on talk shows drunk and high. Joan would always blame her state on antibiotics. She's always like these (laughs) damn antibiotics. (laughs) Which at that point, you have to wonder, what are you taking antibiotics for? Uh, Like 365 days a year. (laughs) Like there is no antibiotic. Right. You you become immune to them or something. You you usually have like a course of like seven to 10 days. Like that's it. But that's what she would always say. Oh, my antibiotics. Also, I've never gotten high off of antibiotics. (gasps) They make me really tired. Tired, I guess, but not like that you would look like you were drunk. No. Yeah. No. So uh, when she wasn't making appearances on talk shows, which was occasionally, Joan was just staying at her apartment. And so she still has the apartment. She actually had sold that because she couldn't afford it anymore. Right. So she was now living in a smaller apartment uh, at this point, but she was just kind of a shut-in, really. Like she wasn't right. going out a lot anymore. She was really occasionally doing these... Like, I know she did, like, a Jerry Lewis telethon in 1968, but then this is after that. This is, like, entering 1970 now, so she's just really staying in. By June of 1970, Christina was struggling to find work in New York and planned to move back to L.A. to try and find some success there. For the first time in her adult life, Joan offered her a place to stay. She had an empty apartment in West Hollywood that she was still renting for some reason. And Joan also told Christina that she would make some calls for her in the industry. Over the last few years, Joan and Christina's relationship had improved dramatically since she was a child. But Joan freaked out when Christina had borrowed one of her friend's cars while in Los Angeles, even though Joan's friends had offered to lend it to her to go on auditions. She was like, don't. How dare you borrow my friend's car? Oh, my God. It was just some weird thing that she was uptight about. So that led to a big fight, fucking fight about that. 
Joan's secretary called Christina and told her that her mother was coming to Los Angeles to do a show and that Christina had two days to leave the apartment and find somewhere else to live. Christina was baffled. She's like, we've just spent the last four years building a relationship together. Right. All, even though you're still, I still think you're fucking, you know, difficult. But we've been building a relationship yeah. for four years. Yeah. We have a totally different relationship now. So all of a sudden, for her mom to pull this like petty shit on her, where yeah. she's like, get out of my apartment, she was completely baffled by this. She couldn't get a hold of her mother when she tried calling to ask her what the hell was going on. Christina moved out immediately and into a friend's place in Hollywood. Finally, Christina got a hold of her mother, and Joan just acted like nothing had happened and that everything was normal. She's like, hello, Chris, hello, Tina. <laughs> Joan didn't even end up coming to L.A. after all. Oh, my God. So she moved out of this apartment for nothing. This was all just a ploy to get her to vacate. Jesus. When Christina called her mother to tell her that she had gotten a guest star on the TV show Marcus Welby... She said that she was met with a very cold reception. All Joan said to her was, how did you get the part? And then Christina explained to her how she got the part, and Joan hung up. (gasps) But Christina did have a wonderful time filming her episode and was really pleased with her work. At this point, she hadn't spoken to her mother in two weeks. And it wasn't until she went to lunch with one of her mother's oldest friends, which happened to be the one who lent her the car, that she learned what her mom was so upset about. Joan, this friend had told Christina, like, I got a call from, from your mom. And mm. she was pretty fucking mad. Joan had flown into a rage about Christina getting this guest star because she had wanted to do that TV show and believed that Christina had only called her to gloat. Ugh. Not just to be like, Mommy, I got this show. Right. Aren't you proud like, of it? Like, why me? would Christina even know that? Right. So... The friend said that Joan told him that she said her daughter was ungrateful and a bad person. And he said that he was sure that he was not the only person that she called in the business to rant about what a shitty person her daughter was. So he also was like, yeah, and she sounded drunk. So I'm sure she just went on a rampage and called a bunch of people in the industry and ranted about you. (sighs) Obviously, Christina was really upset and heartbroken over this because she's trying to build her career in Hollywood and her mom is trash talking her to everybody. Right. Not, and even if they didn't believe the things that Joan was saying, a lot of people were like, I don't want to get involved in that. Right. I don't want to get another Yeah. I'm sure no one believed it, but they were just like, I don't need to deal with this. Yeah. I don't even guilt by association. Part of me is like, why would you tell your mom anything? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she wanted so bad and I know. And she got these little crumbs from her where it was like. I know how it works. It's like so awful though. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. There was another anecdote from mommy dearest that was so insane to me that basically Joan was like, why don't you come and meet me? And like, she was in town in LA or she was going to be in town in LA. And she said, come meet me. And this gentleman I'm friends with, we're going to be at this bistro in Beverly Hills. Come meet us there for lunch. And Christina's like, okay. So she drove down to Beverly Hills and she gets to the restaurant and she sees the guy there. She's never met him before, but it's like a friend of her mom's. They're all going to have lunch together. And they're sitting at their table. They're just waiting. They're waiting to order. Joan's not showing up. Then it's 45 minutes passes, and Christina realizes, oh, 
my mom didn't want to blow this guy off, so she sent me. Oh my god! To soften the blow that he got stood up. Oh my! So we god. both got stood up by Joan. That's so terrible. Yeah, I would was, be so mad. She was so humiliated. She didn't even know this guy. They Ugh. had this like awkward, just sitting there together. Like, when's Joan coming? What an what a bitch. <laughs> so that was like. I mean, there were several stunts like this yeah. that she started that were she was pulling and Christina. That's so believable because it's like no one would make that up to like lie about someone. Like that had to have happened. Oh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you wouldn't even be able to think of something that stupid. Exactly. It's so dumb. Yeah. Like and Christina in the book, she's like recalling all these times that she realized that her mom had used her to sort of do her dirty like un like unknowingly use Christine. You know, Christina didn't know that her mom was using her for some reason to like deal with somebody. This is so believable. I feel like she's so believable just based on these stories. Absolutely. So Christina just was like, you know, whatever relationship we had managed to build with each other, it's done. It's trashed. Like there's no, she felt that there was no coming back from this. This was the final straw for her. She's like, we can't even, we can't have anything nice. Yeah. You know, Christina and Joan now only spoke through letters during the holidays. By the fall of 1973, Christina was now at UCLA. She was backing away from acting, and she had fallen in love with a new guy. She penned a long letter to Joan, bearing her soul about the hell that she had been put through with her. In the letter, Christina said that, quote, I never felt you loved me, and also she said, quote, what I think I resent most of all is the time it's taken to restructure my life. The fact that I am here at all, never mind becoming the person I am, beginning to fulfill my potential. I view as nothing short of a miracle. I read this whole letter. It's pretty heartbreaking. It's very long. But it's basically her just saying, like, I can't, like, I can't do this relationship with you anymore. I can't be your puppet anymore i yeah. can't you you've you've consumed my entire life my yeah. whole life revolves around your approval yeah and doing what you want and i need to be my own person now and i'm strong enough to see that yeah and though christina would never get a response from that letter she sent she did get a sense that her mother had read it because when she read excerpts from an interview that joan had done towards the end of her life that had been published posthumously, like after Joan had died, Joan had said that she regretted being so hard on her children and for setting such strict standards. After graduating from UCLA with a degree in communications, Christina married her boyfriend David in 1976. Joan did not attend the wedding, but she did write them a letter congratulating them. Joan retired from her position at Pepsi, and in Mommy Dearest, Christina says that she had to hand it to her for for turning a brief marriage into a second career. For Mother's Day in 1977, Christina sent Joan flowers. When they arrived, Joan requested that they be placed where she could see them from her bed. She died the next day. Joan had been sick for months, but she had kept this pretty private. The official cause of death was like a heart heart attack, but it was right. said to have been cancer, like caused yeah. by cancer. Um, Wait, so she, sh- I mean, she should have died on Mother's Day. That would have just been perfect. 
<laughs> well, she did die on the anniversary, her and Alfred Steele's anniversary. Oh, really? Yes. So that was the day after Mother's Day? Yes. Okay. But it was almost after. It was I'm just very saying, close. I know. It roll credits. <laughs> now, Joan did go out with the dramatic flair. And I'm going to tell you about Joan's last moments on Earth. Okay. Right before she died, her caretaker began to pray beside her out loud. And Joan lifted her head up and said, Damn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. <laughs> Those were her last words. She died a few minutes later. She had so much pride. <laughs> Both Christina and Christopher were explicitly left out oh, of the will. Right. They know why. <laughs> I'm going to repeat that. Both Christina and Christopher were explicitly left out of the will. This is a quote from the will. This is what it says. It is my intention to make no provision herein for my son Christopher or my daughter Christina for reasons which are well known to them. <laughs> Now, Christina was shocked and horrified upon being told this by the lawyer. She couldn't believe that even after they had repaired so much of their relationship during the last years of her life, that her and her brother could be completely cut out. She shouldn't have taken that Marcus Welby job. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Christina wasn't upset about the money. It was really the principle of the whole thing that got to her. I honestly can't believe she was shocked. It just seems so obvious that Joan would be this way. Like, right. It's so petty. Like, I mean, part of me is like, it would be great to leave someone out of my will explicitly. <laughs> like, it's the ultimate fuck you from the grave. Right. Like, you're having this last word. But I she, mean, obviously, Christina ends up having the last word. But like. But it, she couldn't believe even from a publicity standpoint that she would be left out of the will. Like, Joan Crawford leaves her daughter and her brother right. out. But although it, this did get publicity because the newspapers picked up this story because they were explicitly left out and that it said for reasons well known to them because everyone was like, well, what are the reasons? Yeah. We want yeah. to know. This sounds salacious. Yeah. It was like her last little thing. It must have been so bad whatever Christina and Christopher did that did their mother- Did she have a ton of money? She must have had barely anything. No, she didn't have a lot of... Yeah. She had a $2 million estate. Okay. So, so it it's a, like a little bit. It's a decent amount of money. Uh, and she was, you know, the twins, Cindy and Kathy, they were left with $77,000 to be doled out over 20 years. That's it? That's it. What'd the other money go to? Well, I'm going to tell you, Desi. Okay. <laughs> I'm mad. <laughs> I mean, if I was Kathy and Cindy, I'd I would have be been mad, mad too. too. I would have been mad. And Joan's secretaries received some money as well. But... Nothing was given to Joan's niece nor her aunt, which were her only living blood relatives alive. Uh, The rest of the money was left to charities. And the will was written less than a year prior to her death. And like I said before, this made the news. Yeah. What did those two little brats do to get written out of their mother's will? Well, Christina racked her brain trying to figure out what these reasons for which are well known to them were. But she couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I mean... Other than her mom. Well, Christopher seems more obvious. They had zero relationship. Right. 
I mean, the mom just kept sending him off to like different boarding schools. And he, they didn't even ever reconnect as adults. No. Right? No. Uh, and I think with Christina, they just had a falling out at the end. I feel like whatever good moments Christina had with Joan were never really real for Joan. Right. Do you but, know what I mean? But they like, always meant so much to Christina because of the stark contrast. Yeah. I just think they meant a lot to Christina, but right. not to Joan. Right. And they were just little moments where she didn't feel Christina was ungrateful, maybe. Right. But, but ultimately, at the end, she felt like Christina was the ungrateful brat she always had been. Yes. Like, like you know overall, what I mean? Christina had given her difficulty. Well, in her mind, it's like, I filled in for you when you were sick. Like, right. like I didn't get any, like she always acts like everything she did was, didn't benefit her. Right. I, I just feel like she's warped. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, Joe, I mean, there's no specific thing like you murdered my horse. Like, <laughs> like I don't know what Christina's confusion is. Her mom is insane and right. a drunk. Like, right. It was a petty thing. That's, right. that's it. There is no other reason. Right. Joan had memorial services in both New York and LA. The LA one was like this huge fucking like hurra- Hollywood. hooray for Hollywood moment. It was a celebration of her life and her work. Ton of celebrities and people she had worked with over the years were there, including Steven Spielberg, who had directed Joan in a TV show episode when he was very young. I've was, seen that. It was his first job. Yeah, like Night his, Gallery. Yes, it was his first directing job. Joan was fucking furious that some 22-year-old little <laughs> shit who had never done anything before in his life, was directing her. And they had an awful time working together. That's a good episode. You guys should watch it. The Night Gallery. Yeah. That was like a show I was really into. Really? Because it's spooky. Yeah. It's like a spooky anthology. But I just think it's funny that she's like hating on this little pipsqueak. Yeah. And he goes on to become literally the biggest American director. She has bad judgment. (laughs) Yeah. She's like so egotistical. Right. She can't handle yeah. it. In 1978. It's really windy. I think something just fell. so windy. It's so windy right yeah. now. Yeah. In 1978, Christina's book, Mommy Dearest, was published and went on to become a bestseller. Obviously, the book was widely talked about given the accusations Christina had made about one of Hollywood's biggest stars. This was like, also, I read it was like the first celebrity tell-all book. Yeah, probably. I mean... Especially from that personal of a relationship. Yeah, and there was so much explosive information. Right, this isn't some, like, author writing a memoir, like an autobiography, a tell-all. It's, like, the daughter who's telling her personal experience. And and these are, like, horrible things. These aren't, like, oh, my mom had a drug problem. It's, like, no, my mom beat me with Bon Ami cleanser. Yeah, yeah. And other weird fucking things that she did. Now, several of Joan Crawford's friends refuted the claims in this book, including Myrna Loy, who had this to say about Joan. I liked her and I miss her, and I think her daughter's stories are pure bunk. Even if they were true, if ever there was a girl who needed a good whack, it was spoiled, horrible Christina. (laughs) Believe me, there were many times I wanted to smack her myself. Spoiled, horrible Christine. <laughs> she's like 140. Yes. At this point, I'm like, wait a minute. How old is fucking Myrna Loy at this point? She was born in like 1850 or something. Oh my she God. She was a fucking silent she's movie She's just star. like an old bitch. 
<laughs> so Joan's first husband, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., he didn't read the book, but he also denied the claims of Joan being a monster. He's like, I doubt that. And the twins, Cindy and Kathy, denied any abuse at the hands of their mother, which I, I believe that they could have not seen anything. And it's totally believable that Joan could have had a completely different relationship with the twins. It's like when someone accuses a guy of rape and everyone's like, he never sexually harassed me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, a lot of people have different relationships with different people. Like, right. Christopher, however, has always stood by Christina and said, yes, everything she said was a hundred percent fucking true. It's true. And all the shit she did to me, too, strapping me down yeah. in that weird bed. Uh, Here's the thing I think when I hear this stuff. It's not like, not that I'm saying nothing that happened is abusive or whatever. It's not sensational enough. I feel like if you're lying, you're going to go to the extra mile. Right. Like, this stuff is so subtly abusive. Yes. It's not what you would make up. Do you know what I mean? So like based in reality. You would make up. First of all, some of it seems untrue because it's so unbelievable. So if you're lying, I feel like you would make more believable, like she spanked me, she kicked me down the stairs. Like you do more like things that you've seen before. Right. These are like very specific and weird. There's just no way you would make this stuff up. Yeah, it's so specific. Yeah. It's There's too just no specific. way. Uh so I watched, you know, Christina, she did like the press tour right. for this and the talk show tour for this. I watched an interview. She was on Phil Donahue. Remember Phil yeah, Donahue? Yeah, I feel like I saw that one. Dude, he's like so young in this clip because yeah. it's from 1978. I mean, he still looks like he's like 100 years old. He ha- always had like the grayish hair. Yeah. Even when he was young. But like for yeah. Phil Donahue, you're like, oh, he looks young. Yeah. <laughs> but you should watch this interview just because it's the most like late 70s thing I've ever I seen. I feel like I've seen excerpts from it. Everyone yeah. has those big round glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's good. Uh, In 1981, the film version Mommy Dearest came out starring Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Now, we talked about the film in the first episode. Yeah. Of course, this film is universally panned, but has since become, I think, one of the most important cult films of all time. Yeah. It's a camp classic. Yes. Faye Dunaway, however, went on to regret doing the film. She was mortified I think she was mortified (laughs) by the reviews and she also had stated that she had wished that the director would have gotten her to rein in her performance more. Yeah. She, she should have been reined in, but I'm glad she wasn't. (laughs) If if they were trying to make a quote unquote good film. Right. I mean, first of all, camp only works when it's unintentional. Yeah. So in that regard, the reason it works so well is that they were trying to make a good film. Right. Uh, and he probably thought that her performance was amazing. And she was going to get an Oscar. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been camp no. if they were going for that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it worked out perfectly. Right. Yeah. I don't know what she, Faye Dunaway was thinking. With that role? <laughs> <laughs> like her performance was like, even without someone reining you in, it's just really hard <laughs> for me to to like wrap my brain around the ego of actors because at a certain level, they just don't hear any negative, like criticism. Like criticism. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I'm sure everyone was telling her she was blowing them out of the water. And I feel like when blowing it out of the water, like I feel like when you're going that hard, you're probably like, I'm fucking selling it. 
Yeah. Yes, it's insane, but I'm in it. Look, I honestly... <laughs> and I, she does sell it, and it's believable. It's just at a, 11 the whole right. time. Like, and you know what? No one would give a fuck about the movie if it wasn't insane. Oh, if this was just like a acted normally, <laughs> it would just be forgotten. Yeah. It... The reason it's so successful is because we all have that image of her with the white cream on her face. <laughs> and it's like, is this a horror film or what is happening here? It kind here? of is. Yeah. Because she is like a character out of a horror movie yeah. from that period in the 50s where all the old actresses started doing like horror movies, right. you know? like So it's like she's that character. Uh, and even her scenes where she's just like normal, it's like... Hello, darling. <laughs> like, it's just like, even that's at like a heightened reality. Like, right. The whole thing is just insane. It's so over the top. I mean, look, I love her performance in that movie. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's not a bad acting performance. Like, she's believable. She made a choice. Yeah. She made a very strong choice. That film I saw very young because it was like one of those movies that was like always on cable. Um, And I did want to, like I think I mentioned this in one of the episodes where it's like I wanted to be Christina when she was at the party with the dresses and they were matching. And like that was like my dream to like make a cocktail for my mom's boyfriend. (laughs) Like all of that stuff. I was like, that's a glamorous life. Like, right. I was just talking to some other uh, person I know who was abused and we were like saying how sometimes we see things. We're like, well, at least you got to be with a rich person. <laughs> we got abused by losers. <laughs> yeah. Like, you... There is some kind of thing where you're like, Ooh, <laughs> I could have been in a mansion. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so dark, but like, yeah. So, I mean, the movie is great. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I feel like I always am seeing clips or looking at pictures of that movie. Yeah. Like, it's always like on my mind. Absolutely. Me as, too. As, with Baby Jane, I feel like this movie is a movie I have seen. I probably watched it every time it was on cable, like I, basic cable. You can't look away from it. Yeah. So wherever it starts, I mean, that is one thing I miss about TV because now I stream. I never come across something naturally that I just start watching. And yeah. that's how I saw a lot of those movies me multiple too. times. And it was never like I watched the whole movie. But I would watch the end or whatever part I was on, I would start watching it at that part. Like, or you end up watching some obscure movie that like, you have no idea what it is, and you're like, what the fuck is this movie? And you would have never seen it otherwise. Yes. So you, you don't have those discoveries uh, anymore. So I kind of miss that. It's sort of similar with songs, too. Yeah. Like so Every once in a while, I hear a song in the wild, and it's like way more exciting, <laughs> even though I could play it on Spotify or whatever anytime I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> to hear it in the wild, you're like, yeah, Billy Jean, <laughs> or whatever. Like, um, But yeah, I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah. It's just like, it's incredible. Absolutely. It looks great, too. It really does look great. I love the look of it. It's very like technicolor. The artistic direction in this movie is superb. The opening credits are just iconic. Yeah. They're so good. They're really good. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while though. I should watch it again. Did you just wa- rewatch it? I just rewatched uh-huh. it before doing this series. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's so good. Yeah. It's just so good. I mean, when you're talking about the stories, every scene is in my mind. Right. Like I know it by heart. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> Well, that's that's the conclusion of Mommy Dearest. Yay. Thanks for sticking sticking with us for the last yeah. month almost. Yeah. Wow. It was good. Looking forward to Father's Day month. What do we have in oh, store shit. next? Is that our theme? 
I don't know. I, I just said cracking. that right now. I actually had planned something to do like two months ago that I'm probably still going to do. Unless we could come up with bad dads. I mean, I feel like dads deserve it too. Yeah. <laughs> let's not just, and we don't have as many uh, weeks in June now since we're behind. Yeah. Let's do bad dads. Okay. Even, we'll think yeah, about it. We'll figure it out. Okay, cool. Okay. Bye. bye.